Where am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to Praise, the program that connects faith and daily life. On Praise Today, a Manxman comes home and invites us to look in a new way at the transforming power of education and the deeper meaning of receiving communion. But let's start with music. The Huddersfield Choral Society and a great hymn of trust. Lord, for the years, your love has kept and guided.
Music there from the Huddersfield Choral Society and Lord for the Years. And now let's meet my first guest. He's Manx-born Reverend Daniel Norris, who's making a brief visit home at the invitation of the Ireland Spirituality Network. Daniel led a meeting of the group yesterday, and in a little while we'll hear Daniel explain what he was saying at St John's Mill yesterday morning. But first, let's find out more about Daniel himself. Five years ago, he was ordained as an Anglican priest and is now based in the Diocese of London, where he's a member of the clergy team at St James's Church in Piccadilly. He's also executive head teacher of a new school, St Jerome's Bilingual French and English School in Harrow. Daniel's parents still live on the island and his mother, Linda, will be well known to many as she plays an active part in the life of St George's Church here in Douglas. But let's begin by taking Daniel back to his Manx roots in Moroun. Well, I was at Moroun Primary School and it was wonderful to see Eric Quirk, who was head when I was there, and have very, very happy memories of my time at primary school and then moving on to Balakamine High School, really inspired by many of the teachers who taught me here to go on to university to study languages and theology. You are here as the guest of the Ireland Spirituality Network and in a moment I would love to hear what you were sharing with the group yesterday morning. But let's talk about you and your ministry. You're the head of a bilingual school in London. You're also in ministry in St James's Piccadilly. You have the title of Executive Head Teacher of St Jerome, the bilingual school. Tell me about life in St Jerome. Well, it's a new school that we've recently opened in partnership with the diocese and there was a group of parents, predominantly Christian parents in a church in Harrow, who had all lived abroad, who all valued languages and were really keen to offer something to children in the local community that isn't available outside of the private sector for independent schools. So we opened the first Church of England bilingual school to teach children and to give them the gift of another language from the very early days. And that really was inspired also by the opportunities I had on the Isle of Man to learn French at primary school. So it was wonderful to have the opportunity to open a school which has a Christian ethos but is very much welcoming of all children in the local area. Harrow is extremely diverse, in fact it's the most linguistically and ethnically diverse borough in the country. So to open a school which prioritises language and communication in a Christian context was something really exciting. Now it's English and French, but would you say from your experience that if you get just any second language at a young age that it makes it so much easier to learn other languages? I absolutely believe so. I think the children learn like sponges. They have such enthusiasm because they they don't have the inhibitions that we often have at a later age. And I think also it opens their window to the wider world with all that's going on at the moment in the world. Perhaps we might think that we are narrowing experiences for children and certainly Brexit and those sorts of things. But actually what we're finding is children love to find out about different parts of the world and to realise that they're part of a worldwide family. Do you think that educationally they develop quickly across the board because they're stretched with two languages all the time? I think it's a really challenging experience for the children and certainly the research indicates it's hugely valuable to them, not only at that stage in terms of making connections between concepts, but it's also in later life there's a lot of research that indicates for brain health. Learning two languages at an early age is really helpful. 
How much teaching do you get to do, Daniel? Not as much as I'd like to, but on the opportunities I do get to go into the classroom, it's wonderful to interact with the children, to see their enthusiasm. Predominantly, I will be leading worship in the school, which is a great privilege and joy. Is that done bilingually? It is, actually. The children learn to say the Lord's Prayer in French, and we try to make sure that they have opportunities to pray in English and French, and also in the the wide range of languages that they have in the school. We have over 40 languages spoken in the school community, and it's very important to us to say to all of the families that any language children speak is, is part of their culture, it's part of their heritage, and it should be promoted and conserved and continued. That's fascinating because in the classroom, obviously, it's going to be English and French. But when the children are socialising, they're going to share other words and phrases from different languages. So the richness of education, formal and informal, must be tremendous. Oh, it's huge. And and to hear where words come from and to spot patterns between words is a really wonderful experience for the children. And they they realise that actually languages are made up on words from all over the place. So that sort of etymology of where the English language comes from is is fascinating for them to find out. We want them to be detectives of language and they absolutely love doing that. Detectives of language. Great. Lovely. Explain to me, Daniel, the difference between an executive head teacher and the head of school. So the executive head teacher is specifically responsible for strategy and developing the wider partnerships beyond the school and given that St Jerome's school is a new school we're working in partnership with the school where I was head teacher previously so the head of school has much more day-to-day contact with the community ensuring things are organised and my responsibility is to strategically develop the schools together to provide the best quality of education we can for the children. It's a huge undertaking to open a new school. There are so many things that we thought we'd planned absolutely everything and then suddenly you're in operation and you realise, oh, we don't have that or who's going to do that? So it's, it's really important at the early stage of a project to have partnership. And I would guess that you're looking for a very special type of teacher. Absolutely. I think all teachers are special. We don't have teachers who are all bilingual, and that's important. We want people who are strong models of English and French. So we are delighted to have native speakers from all over the world for French and English to give the children this sense that these are international languages and are spoken in all different parts of the world. Daniel, you're making me wish with all my heart that I hadn't been educated in the Middle Ages and that I could go to a school like yours. It sounds wonderful. And I hope it'll be a model for others. I do hope so, because I believe that early learning of a language is so empowering for children when they realise there's that moment when they that they can communicate with somebody else. And I think for me it's important because... Our school vision is very much around children understanding and loving their neighbour. And we can only really do that in so much as we can know and communicate with others. So people sometimes ask me about, well, why is the Church of England opening a bilingual school? What's the connection between the languages and the Christian faith? And I would say the school is named after St. Jerome. St. Jerome translated the scriptures so that we could understand them. And we invite all of the children in our school to seek to put their words into actions. Uh, St. Jerome has a wonderful phrase that we often say to the children, that it's not just words, not just holy words, but actions too. This is my body, broken for you, bringing you 
and eat it And when you do Do it in love for me This is my blood Poured out for you Bringing forgiveness Making you free Take it and drink it And when you do Do it in love for me to my father soon I will go do not forget me then you will see I am still with you and you will know you're very close to I am the tree If you are faithful Others will know You are alive in me That's the communion song from a Christian musical called The Witness. The story of Jesus told by one of the disciples, Peter, and other people whose lives were transformed by meeting the carpenter from Nazareth. It's a song that's often used in church services that include the giving of Holy Communion, bread and wine blessed and shared as Jesus did at the Last Supper, the meal that he shared with his friends just before his death. And each time the bread and wine is shared now, it reminds us not just of Jesus' death on the cross, but his rising to everlasting life three days later, an event that we celebrate at Easter and a life that's offered to all who believe. Holy Communion is also called the Eucharist. The word Eucharist literally means thankful or grateful that Jesus died out of love for us. But our thanksgiving can't be in word only. In taking communion, we then must go out into the world and show the same unselfish love. And this is at the heart of what Reverend Daniel Norris was saying when he talked to the Ireland Spirituality Network yesterday. He was reflecting on what it might mean for us to be blessed, broken and given to the world. Let's rejoin Daniel now as he explains what he was talking about. It was such a privilege to to meet with the group and to talk about these themes. We explored very much what it means to experience a Eucharistic life. The Eucharist is an incredibly powerful tool for uniting us as we gather around the table. However, unfortunately, what has often happened um, is that it's been a source of division, which is 
very regrettable. So we were talking about whatever our tradition or whatever denomination or practice we have, what it might mean to live a Eucharistic life, one informed by Christ who invites us to share God's love with others. We reflected very much around this sense that we are all made and loved by God and that we are blessed and that we have the opportunity to share that with others but also a reflection that this Eucharist happens in the real world where we know that things are not always as we would want them to be and we reflected very much upon the fact that we are not always the people that we hope to be and so in the Eucharist there is the opportunity to say sorry, to seek forgiveness and to seek to build bridges and so we were very much thinking about how our own brokenness might be transformed into loving and supporting others and if we are able to be truly honest with ourselves and with one another that that has the most incredible opportunity to enable us to feel included. We talked a lot about hospitality and what hospitality might mean and the fact that the Eucharist involves sacrifice, it involves Jesus ultimately going to the cross and therefore we were talking a bit about how sometimes we might need to enlarge our own hearts to welcome others and that might be costly for us. And I think sometimes we almost go through the motions, we can say the words, but I think what we are invited to is something much deeper than that, something to share. We cannot take bread and forget those who are hungry. We cannot take wine and not think about those who thirst. So this is an authentic experience that happens to us in the midst of our real world and it invites us to feed others, to go and look for those who perhaps feel on the margins and to bring them close. You know, there's, there's an element of risk in there. We might fear rejection. We talked about maybe some of those episodes in the Gospels where people are invited to parties and nobody turns up, probably all of our worst nightmares. But also the fact that it's costly for us to reach out to the other. And in the current climate where we are talking a lot about self-isolation and separation from others, that reaching out to one another despite some of those circumstances is going to be really important uh, as we seek to care for one another. Daniel, the blessing part of it, where ought we to feel blessed? Where are the blessings for us? I think the Eucharist speaks of a generous God who loves us, who is willing to sacrifice himself in going to the cross for us and loving us. And so whatever our circumstances, we have a message to share of love for one another and that we can reflect on our own lives. And there are many, many things that we do have as blessings. And I think to spend some time over the period of Lent reflecting on those is, is a really good opportunity for us to say thank you. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. It's a celebration that is both joyous, but it's also a broken-hearted celebration because it happens on the night before Jesus died. And the words of someone who is close to death are poignant. And so I think for Christians, this celebration that is real, that's grounded in our brokenness, but offers us a future picture of how the world could be is really exciting. In a sense, we're rehearsing what we believe is to come, a world in which all are fed, where everyone is valued, and where everybody can come to the table in heaven as on earth. Love one another, I 
have loved you And I have shown you How to be free Serve one another And when you do Do it in love for me Thank you to my guest, Reverend Daniel Norris. This Eucharist, this sharing of bread and wine, this communion, was at the centre of a huge congress in Liverpool over a year ago. Although it was organised by the Roman Catholic Church and drew together around 10,000 Catholics from all over Britain, members and leaders of other Christian denominations were there, contributing to the discussions and to the times of shared worship. One of the most interesting and challenging talks that I attended was billed as a discussion about Christian unity. But in reality, it was a discussion about what separates us, exactly what Daniel Norris was talking about a few moments ago, why Roman Catholics are not permitted to receive communion, the Eucharist, in a church of another denomination, and why Christians of other denominations can't receive the sacrament of communion in a Roman Catholic church, a source of real pain for everybody. Clifford Longley, a respected author, journalist and broadcaster, travelled from his home in London to the Congress in Liverpool just to chair this one discussion, because he felt it was so important. It's a very difficult subject and a lot of sensitivity. People feel very deeply about these things. We had to try and avoid angering people, but at the same time getting to the heart of the matter. That's what we were trying to do. As a chairman, you can tell whether people are concentrating or whether they're losing the point. I think there was an intense concentration in the audience during this. They were hanging on every word because the ideas were so profound and so important to them, to their faith, to their lives. At the end of the debate, the three keynote speakers told me what they would be taking away with them from the discussions. Let's listen now to the Right Reverend Paul Bayes, Anglican Bishop of Liverpool, Reverend Dr Cheryl Anderson, Chair of the Liverpool District of the Methodist Church, and Most Reverend Malcolm McMahon, Roman Catholic Archbishop of Liverpool. Christian unity is not easy and, and of course it's not complete, we need to keep on talking to each other. But all my life I've, I've received gifts from other churches, I was trained at a college which was half Methodist, I learned uh, such a lot from the Roman Catholics when I was training. I, I see it this way, it's true that we're not there yet, but instead of looking ahead to what's not been done, let's just look behind to the distance that we've come in learning to love each other, stand together for justice, and in the light of all of that let's keep on walking. Because if we walk in hope rather than in regret, then I think we'll walk that much faster. I think it's interesting to see how many conversations there are in the world and also in the UK between uh, Roman Catholics and Anglicans, between Methodists and Roman Catholics. The official conversations are indeed still going on. The very first paper that ever came out from the Anglican-Roman Catholic conversations was about communion. And to a certain extent, we just need to remind ourselves of how much agreement there was then. We, we haven't got there yet. And, and, and I mean, the big difference, of course, is that for the Roman Catholic family, sharing communion means we've reached the end of the road. Where, where 
whereas for some other families, including my own, sharing communion means that, that, that it will help us along the road. And it's hard to square that circle. So the question is, what are you going to do in the meantime? I, I believe what we should do in the meantime is pray together, and we do, work together for justice, and we do, and keep on talking about how it is that we can share together and become more fully one, and we do. And, and there's a lot of sweat needed to do that. And there are some tears to be shed right now, but also there's a great deal to celebrate. I think the Methodist Church brings a particular uh, view to this, this conversation. I felt very honoured to be able to come and share that view. I think we find ourselves in a very difficult position and we do have different traditions and we do have different understandings uh, of the nature of the Eucharist. I think the Methodist Church in a way is in a unique position because the nature of the Eucharist is, is not something that we spend a lot of time worrying ourselves about. What we're concerned about is what impact does the Eucharist have on the way you live your life and the, and the influence you're able to have in the world for good. John Wesley said there is no holiness except social holiness means that we have to do this together. You know, it's, it's the impact we have on, the, on society and on people's lives and the transformative nature of the gospel is what we need to share. We've spent so much time in the presence of fellow Christians, not all Catholics, but fellow Christians right across the spectrum, and we've been studying and thinking and praying about Jesus' presence in the Blessed Eucharist, and that in itself is a blessing. In the youth program, we had this lovely young woman, Catholic evangelist from New Orleans, and she came across to England to talk to our young people, young woman, she's married, they have a one-year-old child, and she can still spend 50 occasions during the year telling people about the love of Jesus in their lives. So she spoke for an hour, lots of jokes and fun, just to remind us that each of us is very special to the Lord, that we're all here because he loves us into being and continues to love us. That's a very simple message and we forget it all the time. very appropriately that instrumental music is called Gather Us In. And we end with a message from Andrew and Georgia at Church's Bookshop here in Douglas. They're taking all sensible precautions to keep themselves and their customers safe when visiting the shop, but for those who are more vulnerable or find getting to Douglas difficult, they'd like me to remind you that they're very happy to accept orders via phone, email or Facebook, and they'll post books, gifts and Easter cards out to you. And Church's Bookshop is also hosting a new weekly podcast called The Anvil. Three millennials talking about their faith, the future and occasionally biscuits. Listen for more about that on Praise in the coming weeks. And in these uncertain times, Praise will be here with news and interviews from the wider Christian world, music to lift you up and most importantly, the unchanging message that there is one who stands alongside us in every situation with a love that will not let us go. Love.
loving God, source of healing and comfort, fill us with your grace, that those who are sick may be made whole, that those who care for us may be strengthened, that the anxious may be calmed, and those most vulnerable be protected in the power of the Spirit and in the faith of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's all that we have time for today. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead. Station